This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. And we're going to talk about Now Wait for Last Year, a 1966 novel by Philip K. Dick. And, Paul, you were saying that this was one you hadn't read before. I had never read it before. Marissa, you've never read it before, I'm pretty sure. Nope. This was new for me. How do we rate this one amongst other Philip K. Dick books? In the high end or the low end, in the middle? I'm going to put it in the high end. Totally. I I agree, Paul. I am not only going to put it in the high end. I'm going to say that if you want to know what Philip K. Dick writes, this, this novel just about encapsulates... (laughs) <laughs> Phil K. Dick in one book. It has everything, right? <laughs> it totally does. It's everything. I love I, I I really enjoyed it. I was, I was looking oh sorry, go for oh, it. I was just gonna say I was trying to think what doesn't it have? Like is there any <laughs> Philip uh, K. Dick element that it's missing? It it, it touches on pretty much everything. There there's something. not a lot of interplanetary stuff. There, I mean, they do go to Mars. There yeah. is an interplanetary war, right? Yeah. But it's it's pretty earthbound. Um, it really brings the marriage to the fore. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> a marriage issue to the fore. Um, but yeah, and I think it has a lot of really nice resonances with other novels. But uh, one of the things I noticed on Goodreads, um, some people are at least one or two people in their reviews. One person said they hated Eric Sweetsent, and the, another person said I love Eric Sweetsent. Yeah. I was like, um, I can see why they would feel that way about Eric Sweetsent. Um, but isn't he just like a normal, regular sort of nice dick protagonist? Yeah, I I found him really sympathetic. But I wonder if it's like because the relationship stuff in there is so touchy. I wonder if, if yeah. people recognize those kind of relationships in their lives that they're they don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> people know. were saying a lot of people were using the word misogynist, uh-huh. and I think that that's not right at all. I think it, you might get that sense, but it, that's just because at this particular novel, his marriage is not doing very well. Yeah, yeah, I didn't feel that. No, he's 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 he he loves women too much mm-hmm. is the problem, <laughs> <laughs> and he chooses bad ones. And there's so many uh, uh, things that you know must be straight out of his marriage, where he says his head basher Eric Sweetsense head basher says that uh, there's no point in you getting divorced. You're just going to do it again with the next woman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because and actually, you- I have um, the search for Philip K. Dick. You know, this book that was written by his. Right. His wife Anne, yeah, his third wife, and he's—it's totally when he's divorcing her. Like she even writes about it that he hid this book from her. Like normally she read all of his manuscripts, but they were—they oh, were ending wow. their relationship, and she never read this one till after his death. And she recognized things of their relationship. Like she puts a quote in the book of like uh, where he's impotent. They're not sleeping mm. together anymore. That's directly from mm. their marriage. And <laughs> wow. So and. You know, there was a, even a line in there about that head basher, the head basher, what he said about, you know, his psychology mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. that that he was he was a, a husband father and sweet scent isn't a father. Right. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. no kids. No. Nope. And yet, you know, he's just going to fall back into the old formula of husband and father. Right. Yeah. But 
it's like, yeah, this is this. And of course, there's the the teenage uh, uh, alternate girlfriend as a possibility. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. It's all sort of floating in the background there. His um his wife at the time, Anne, also makes this funny comment where she's like, uh, and Eric is just so sweet and so sympathetic, and she's kind of got this sarcastic tone where he's obviously trying to <laughs> write himself as this really nice guy, and she's just the evil bitch who's destroying the relationship. And <laughs> it's basically, yeah. Uh, I mean, she is an evil bitch in this. Uh, yeah. But um, you also, I find her sympathetic as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's pathetic, sympathetic, um, evil bitch. Yeah. Um. Yeah, where she deliberately uh, gets him addicted. Yeah. That is, uh, Philip K. Dick's right. That is a really horrible thing to do to people, yeah. right? But that feels like more of a criticism of, he's kind of talking about addicts and just yeah. the state she's in. It's nothing to do with her, you know, being a woman yeah, or the relationship. Yeah, but still using his wife to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's useful for the plot, but yeah, it's kind it's kind of... Very much him channeling his own marital woes and making her into mm-hmm. the agent of Eric's addiction. I mean, you need you need Eric to have the drug to make the model work. But and and and, one, and once we get Eric addicted, we don't see her going going back and forth with JJ one eighty anymore. We don't see her. We don't we we don't see what she does when she takes the drug as far as moving through time. It's it, it focuses oh, yeah. decisively on Eric. Mm-hmm. Well, I think her trips, uh, especially her second trip uh, through time, is pretty great, right? Yeah. She She's in the cab. That's her, right? Yep. She's in the cab. She's flying over, I don't know, Utah or whatever it is. In the 30s and, or something. Yeah. And, and like that drug trip is – it's so cool because the robot's going with her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's I mean, so weird. how the hell does this work, right? <laughs> and he's freaking out. <laughs> the robant, I should say, yeah. Robant, I, yeah. I, I, I like the robants. Personalities are really, uh, I don't know, they're 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 more human than than I noticed. Like the uh, the Secret Service agents, right? Mm-hmm. He Eric Sweetcent gets into a conversation with one of them, yeah. and he says, "What do you think I should do about my wife?" or something like that, and. Uh, he says, do you think I should get back together with her? And he says, nope. Yeah. <laughs> like that. And I was like, these guys have like no personality at all. Yeah. But the romance, right? We get one right at the beginning, the bill collector, who's like a schmarmy asshole. Yeah. Right. And then later on with the, there, there's uh, the one in the cab who's driving um, the wife. Yeah, and then he's awesome. And he's then, kind of anxious. Yeah, yeah, he totally. And then later on, even farther down the road, there's one who he's in the he's in the cab with, and he says, "Sir, we're not allowed to get married," or something well, like that. And you skipped one, and the, the the one that that is greedy, and Eric's going to bribe. Oh, yeah, that's when, right. When oh, that, that's the desperate band. Yeah. Yeah, it's so like. And Eric even wonders the rope since rope Eric is brushing off the robot's going to crash through the. Uh, the, the building in search of him. And that put me in mind of Total Recall. Have you seen, I forget, Marissa, have you seen Total Recall? Yeah, I love it. I feel yeah, there's uh, other things I, in this book that reminded totally. me of that. Yeah. Well, there's the, there's the secretary with the, with the, in the movie, the secretary with the, with the fingernails that yep. change color, 
right? Oh, yeah. Um, in the book, uh, uh, or the story of that, she has breasts that have been, uh, you know, nude breasts with, like, a dye on them with sparkles. Mm-hmm. That's also in this book, right? Um, some sparkly breast dye. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Some spray-on. Spray-on to thing, match yeah. the lights or something. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So, yeah, like a decorative secretary, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's okay, uh okay when was uh so we can remember for you wholesale which is a story that total recall based on came out in 1966 so same year same year so he kind of reused kind of reused the same ideas in the story and in the novel only some of them anyway the the, the romance particularly because every time I every time I had a cab scene I was listening to this I, I kept seeing the Johnny cab. Totally. Yeah. Did you also it's, find, I kept on feeling Blade Runner, the movie Blade Runner, like some of the scenes in this, it feels like that was really inspired by. Oh, oh with the spinners, yeah. Flying yeah, and just, cars and. They call them wheels, right? Yeah, yeah, the little wheels. But just. They call them just, wheels. Uh, so not, this book really throws you in at the deep end. Like, as soon as you, like, I, I didn't know what the fuck was going on when I started <laughs> Starting is like I know okay, it was so confusing. Want a fur and die? I'm like, what the hell's that? <laughs> and they use it. They use an amoeba to make stuff. Yeah, it's like what well, the heck is like, this? Like, you know, by the end of the book, you're completely on board with T F and J, mm-hmm. <laughs> or no, T F and D, right? And and like Wash Wash thirty, like somebody just pointed out. Oh, that's Washington. It's like oh, well, like, yeah. He really throws you into the world. Yeah. Doesn't even give a shit whether you're following, <laughs> or not. and then be, by catching up with it, you're like totally in it. And it, one of the reviews I was reading, yeah, maybe it was on that that uh, Philip K. Dick notes page, the mm-hmm. Philip K. Dick fans said, uh, you know, what other book could you find uh, all of these things going on, and it it be called a science fiction book because <laughs> none of this stuff is possible. Uh, but it totally like you just totally buy it as you go. Yeah, it's um, one of those. I want, to talk, I want to talk about that print amoeba as well. Oh but, yeah. Um, I, I I found this line and I want to throw it out early because I think it just this. So the, I I think maybe I used to think he wasn't that great a writer, um, just a really good ideas man. But I think this is really cool writing and I think it shows his skill. Um, so this is I, somewhere in the middle of the book. The text doesn't tell me where, but uh, the copter droned on towards Cheyenne, and then there's a page break. Um, in bed alone, Kathy lay half asleep. Uh, no, half lay half sleeping as morning sunlight ignited the variegated textures of her bedroom. All the colors so familiar to her in her married life with Eric now became distinguished one from another as the light advanced. Here where she lived, Kathy had established potent spirits of the past, trapped within the concoctions of her of other periods, a lamp from early New England, a chest of drawers with an authentic bird's eye maple, a hempel white cabinet. She lay with her eyes half open, aware of each object and all the connecting strands involved in her acquisition of them. Each was a triumph over a rival. Some competing collector had failed 
and it did not seem far-fetched to regard this collection as a graveyard, with the ghosts of the defeated persisting in the vicinity. She did not mind their activity in her home life. After all, she was tougher than they. <laughs> and it's like, wow, that's so good. Yeah, it's really good. It, it, give, it gives us the same feeling we get when we sort of wake up half sleepy in the morning looking out. But it gives us insight into the personality. It does something that I no- normally don't think Philip K. Dick does very much, which is describe actually what's going on in in the space around you. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's more more of a talking, you know, conversation talking guy. Like, I have no idea if Cheyenne is is underground or not. Um, maybe it, maybe it's mentioned there, but I get this. I, I've been to Cheyenne. <laughs> I've been through Cheyenne. And we don't really get a sense in any – and it's Cheyenne again because Philip K. Dick's writing Wyoming again. Mm-hmm. We never get a sense much in Philip K. Dick Colorado? novels. What's that? Isn't Cheyenne, isn't Cheyenne Colorado? No, it's or Wyoming. Maybe it's che- I thought it was Cheyenne uh, Mountain in Colorado. I thought I thought it was like uh, the NORAD. Um, but uh, you might be right. I, maybe I didn't pick that yeah. up. But there's there's really no sense in much of Dick's writing of what Cheyenne is actually like because he, as you said, he's not a description space writer. He's a conversation writer. I mean, this paragraph you put out shows that yeah, if he wants to, he can he can describe yeah, yeah. things wonderfully. But yeah, if if I'd never been through Cheyenne through the through the novels of Dick I read, I have I would have no idea what Cheyenne looks like at all. It's and honestly, yeah, Cheyenne doesn't look like much. I've been through there. It has a nice state capital. That's all I can say about say about it. <laughs> I want to keep going on this because I just read the next line. It looks awesome. Eric, she said sleepily, for Christ's sake, get up and put on the coffee and help me out of bed. Push or speak. She turned toward him, but no one was there. <laughs> Instantly, she sat up. Then she got from Then she got from the bed, walked barefoot to the closet for her robe shivering. She put on a light gray sweater, tugging it with difficulty over her head, when she realized that a man stood watching her. As she wa- as she dressed, he lounged in the doorway, making no move to announce his presence. He was enjoying the sight of her dressing. <laughs> but now he shifted, stood upright, and said, Mrs. Sweet Scent. He was perhaps 30, with a dark, rough muzzle, of, uh, muzzle and eyes which did not encourage her sense of well-being. <laughs> In addition, he wore a drab gray uniform, and she knew that he was a member of Lilith Star's secret police operating on Terra. It was the first time in her life that she had run into one of them. And then, uh, isn't that creepy? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, standing there, just not even reacting to the fact that there's a half-naked woman in the bed, just like staring at her, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean I, the, the novel makes a good digression, make good point that the the little star quote-unquote humans are as alien as the Reeks are really well i think this uh, i think that it's really obvious to me what was going on very early when we get a description of uh molinari what's his first gino molinari yeah um he his his picture how he's pictured he's described as having a single um a single metal on his military uniform or quasi military uniform and I'm like that's Hitler right that's Hitler because he has that World War 1 uh medal that he's so proud of which you know it's pretty high ranking medal but whatever um 
But actually, he's not Hitler. Gino Molinari is actually he, and it's it's alluded to a couple of times. Mussolini. He's uh, this book is basically, I would say, rather than you know the United States in Vietnam, it's uh, Earth in, as Italy, and the star men are the Nazis, hmm. and the Rigs are the West. The Rigs are the West, or they are at least some, you know, or even the, or even the communist Russians, yeah. It, well, there's some more beneficent group, right? Because uh, Dick was a huge fan of reading history, right? Yeah. Uh, I tweeted you guys that little sort of Dickian scene yep. <laughs> of, uh, earlier, and it's it, he, you know, he, he gets a book, he reads through it, and he's like, "Wow, this is exciting!" And he starts typing on his, uh, you know typewriter a novel that is you know taking elements out of it um you know mussolini is you know (laughs) the italians famously didn't like him (laughs) at the end right with Mm -hmm. the uh, but being hung in the public square with his girlfriend upside down and um but he's not as you know he's not hitler not at all i mean he there are lots of horrible things about mussolini um and he basically, you know, he's a fascist dictator. He's the, basically the first fascist dictator. Um, uh, you know, Rimmer from Red Dwarf says that uh, <laughs> that um, Napoleon is a fascist dictator. I don't think that's exactly the right description. He's a dictator, but not a fascist dictator. He invents fascism um, and he uses it to his advantage. He's a very compelling figure. But he is not uh, he is not about racism as much as he is about like I love power and glory and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, he's a very complex figure and a very fascinating figure um, to look at because he is so close to um, Hitler in in a lot of ways. But he's not the same kind of guy exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when. You know, the Americans and the Canadians and the British are invading southern Italy, working their way up through the soft underbelly of Europe in World War II. Uh, Things don't go that well in Italy. What happens? The Nazis send in German troops, right? Because the soft uh, Italian troops don't want to fight that hard because they don't really uh, support their government in this war. And... Uh, Mussolini's doesn't, uh, as far as I am aware, he doesn't do the strategy that Molinari uses, or at least one of the theories as to why he's getting sick that's mentioned many times in this book, (laughs) which I think is a fascinating thing. But uh, there's a really cool incident that I think is, uh, I don't know if Dick was aware of it, but Mussolini at one point is taken out by the Italians who don't support him, mm-hmm. they they take him and they throw him in an alpine uh, oh. hotel. Right? They stick him in there and say, you're no longer the head of government. And this is like uh, the point where the Italians should be like joining with the uh, Americans and the British and Canadians as they work their way up towards Rome. But Hitler goes and Sends in his super special agent. Uh, what's his name? Scorsini. Paul? 
Scorzeni. Scorzeni, yes. yes. Otto Scorzeni, who's a fascinating figure. And they go in and, and rescue Mussolini. Well, rescue, I don't know, liberate, the, it, grab him. And it's a very daring raid. You should read the Wikipedia entry. Anyways, he they take him out and take him up to uh, Hitler and say, hey, Hitler, uh, we got him for you back. Here he is. And Hitler says, great, great. Now send him back to Rome <laughs> <laughs> so he can refight the war for us. And what happens? They send him back to Rome and he is promptly lynched. Right. Um, so Gino Molinari is like a smart Mussolini working for the Nazis who are the star men. Hmm. Oh. And I think <laughs> that he's got to be a high because we when we meet the the Riggs, right? They're not, they're pretty much, you know, they're nice. Uh huh. They're alien, but they're nice. Yeah. Yeah. They're more, uh, somebody else, uh, some, one of the characters said, you know, they're, we're on the wrong side of this war. Uh, we don't, we look like the star men, but, uh, we have more in common with the Riggs. And that reminded me, did you guys get a chance to read that, uh, weird Philip K. Dick short story called Tony and the Beatles? Mm hmm. Yeah. And that's the same sort of situation, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's it's funny too cuz the kid is Italian as well. <laughs> oh, I didn't get that. <laughs> Rossi, yeah. Yeah. And they're not I don't think they're Riggs, I feel like they're from Rigel or something, but uh that that's like Beetlejuice or something like that and that's why they're called beetles. But they are insect-like and and the females are telepathic. Yep. Uh, uh, there's a, it's a, it's one of the weirdest Philip K. Dick stories because it is literally, I think, a, a, like a YA. Cause there's like a, a dog, a robot dog. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird story. Um, and it has a weird ending too because the father's super racist, right? Yeah. Um, and the kid isn't racist. He loves, well, he really likes the, the Beatles, even though mm. the, sort of dominating over him. That's what kind of made it so it's kind of a um a frightening story because it's a tragedy. Yeah, it's it's so so weird. Yeah, the kid doesn't know he he's not like interpreting everything right. So you're just watching him walk into this situation where things are just getting worse and worse and mm-hmm. it's kind of scary. Dark YA. Yeah. It's, early. It's, it's such a weird like you know, he's I've read other dick stories where there's a kid protagonist uh there's one called the father thing and that's a that's a horror story yeah that's straight up horror um there's another one um that's uh sort of a retelling of hansel and gretel without gretel and that's a horror story as well uh the kid turns into like a a tumbleweed or something <laughs> like, what? <laughs> it's a really good story um I'm trying to remember the name of it. Uh, oh, it's called the Cookie Lady. That's what it's called. Oh wow! I've yeah, the Cookie Lady is like a witch who is taking advantage of this kid after school, giving him cookies and sucking the life out of him. <laughs> um, and there's no Gretel to come in and save her brother. Oh, creepy! It, yeah, it is really is it's a really creepy story. But in this case uh, of Tony and the Beatles, it's a very obscure story published in a, a magazine that was barely published. Uh, it, if it, it, it feels like a quasi sequel or sort of a dry run for this in that it, there is a sort of a, you can see how the war would have got started, mm-hmm. but 
you see it a lot more from the alien insects perspective mm-hmm. and they're just people and, and they react in the same way as uh, humans. Like the father's an asshole, but the aliens are assholes too. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know how Philip K. Dick's mind works exactly, but he's sort of, you know, the same themes come up over and over again. He develops them so differently. Yeah. What do you guys, I want to talk about the, uh, the guys I forgot about and then they came back. Remember at the beginning, there's the, uh, uh, there's these baseball sized grapefruit, no grapefruit sized baseball heavy, uh, brains that are not really alive. Oh, the lazy brown dogs. The lazy brown dogs. <laughs> what do you think about that? And what, what do you think's going on there? Cause I, I have an idea. The only thing I could think was, I mean, like it's the this um, made from these amoeba things, right? Where it's mimicked right. some kind of living organism. But I couldn't yeah. figure out what they were. Like, are they brains or? Yeah, they're uh, they're they are brains. Uh, so, um, so let's talk about the print amoeba, right? So the Martian print amoeba is a is an amoeba that matches. It, it camouflages itself as something nearby. And this is uh, from another Dick story mm-hmm. called Colony. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also, there's a story called um, Beyond, uh, Beyond Lies the Web, which is his first published story um, that is kind of similar. But in Colony, the aliens or humans land on an alien planet and uh, they get out and they, say, they start surveying the place and then like uh, one guy gets attacked by his towel, and then uh, <laughs> another short, nobody believes him. And then short, very shortly thereafter, a microscope attacks uh, a guy, and various people start getting killed by uh, various objects around the ship, and they all become paranoid and have to take their clothes off because. Uh, oh yeah, the 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 great line from it is, uh, <laughs> he gets a guy gets attacked by a rug. And then, um, and, and then he goes up to the captain after he gets to attacked by the rug and says, Captain, I trusted the rug completely. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I trust my bed's not going to eat me. Um, but yeah, they're, they are like uh, camouflage aliens that they kind of, m- uh, they, I was going to say that kind of, um, sounds like where Kathy in this story is having her first trip and everything in her room all the objects become suddenly like almost untrustworthy like they're sort of have this feeling about them totally yeah yeah Yeah. um so i i there's precedence for this um in other things but uh i i thought it was fascinating like the history of they find this this thing that can copy other things the martian print amoeba right then what they do is they put it next to furs expensive furs And it matches the fur, so it, it, or I guess a whole bunch of these amoebas start, you know, and go into the shape of the fur, and then they kill it, and uh, f- and freeze it using like a a, dr- a chemical to keep it in that shape. Uh-huh. And it says that the um, the owner of the company, whatever his name is, I can't remember. Uh, uh, Virgil. Virgil Ackerman. Virgil. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, when he uh, the he's 135 years old or something, um, when he did this, he destroyed the fur industry, right? Mm-hmm. Because 
now furs don't cost anything. What is so funny about this, <laughs> other than, no, it's interesting, is that uh, they're still killing things to make furs, right? It's just they're killing amoebas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back then, I mean, there wasn't really much of a pet of strike against furs in the 60s, I wouldn't think. I think that came later. But but in retrospect, he's Dick is, in Dick's world, the uh, fur-bearing animals are saved because you don't need to kill a marmot or an ermine or a mink anyway. You just make these amoebas and you kill those. Yeah. So, so 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 it's 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 better for Earth's uh, Earth's uh, animal population to have these. I mean, it just seemed. Uh, I remember reading to me it's like furs. That's the really the best thing you could think of to do. <laughs> I, I would, well, uh, he has he has a thing. Um, well, that's what they started it with, right? And he has this he has this thing for animals. That's what the Andro- do androids dream of electric sheep as going on in the background the religion based on you know animals right Right. Mm -hmm. um so the rocket ship master syndromes now i assume a syndrome is like a computer um is run by something called a monad lazy brown dog now i don't know what lazy brown dog stands for i don't think it's ever revealed in the book uh, I was thinking, you know, the the what, the fox jumps over the lazy brown dog. What's that? How's that? Using every letter of the alphabet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, for typists know. to to practice. Well, what, what, how does it go? Uh, the lazy brown the quick, dog. Uh, I think it's the quick brown fox jumps uh, the quick over brown the fox jumped over the lazy oh, dog. Yeah, lazy brown dog. Yeah. Okay, so no, it wouldn't be the lazy brown dog, right? The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. So it's probably LBD or something, right? Uh-huh. I don't know if it's like they are dog brains that have been copied using the same technology as the um, uh, print amoeba. But there's some sort of brains that used to be alive, then were frozen somehow, right, in that same method and are dead, but are still functional. Uh-huh, yeah. So th- this is the f- really weird thing is that fur, right, is not alive in the first place, right? It's it's an uh, an outgrowth from a cell. It oh. itself is not alive, right? Uh, I I found the I found the paragraph that helps explain okay, what, what they made out of. He picked one up and handled it. In terms of weight, it resembled a baseball. In terms of size, a grapefruit. Evidently, nothing can be done with these failures, which Shimmel had rejected, and he turned to toss the sphere into the maw of the hopper, which returned the fixed plastic into its original organic cellular form. So, mm. so there's some sort of plastic-based computer. Well, yeah, but also you, you also have to re- remember that brains are plastic, right? <laughs> In the sense that they are... I would assume that he's just making a joke there about... it you know having it both meanings uh, but yeah i think he's playing yeah playing words a little there. joke there it's a very minor joke but they they are in some way uh sort of inorganic or i guess technically organic but they're non-living brains that mm-hmm. copy uh living brains and now are dead so that they're permanent or something like that right mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. they don't maybe they don't need uh you know, blood or sunlight but, but, or whatever. They, they run on electricity. Yeah, they need a little A battery that lasts yeah, like 10, ten years. 10-year battery, right. 
and and so there's this guy in that factory who's buying them for uh, half a cent each and then attaching like little wheels and putting the brain on a cart and then he l- trains them in a closet to figure out how to run themselves <laughs> and so then he lets them go free so sweet <laughs> it is super sweet and yet at the end what what do we see they're attacking each other yeah yeah in the alleyway yeah. yeah, that's such a great little scene. But they're just being animals, right? They just go. They're like reverting back to their nature, like. Well, I think it's kind of like their husband and wife too. Yeah, I mean, oh, God. <laughs> it's, it, it, you know, they're they are as much alive as we are in that they do the exact stupid goddamn same things. But I love I love that scene, and uh, I don't I, I I'm pretty sure that that the they're god is black which i i don't know if it means anything but usually dick isn't really uh i think there's a line about him you know that he is negro or something like that and i just thought that that was what does that mean <laughs> maybe it's just a fact who but, the himmel guy yeah uh-huh. uh is it himmel that's yeah. the guy that makes them right himmler right uh also himmler um yeah i think yeah, i think it is himmel let me just see Himmel up. Himmel. Himmel stammered. Sometimes I wish we were back in the Martian bat guano business. <laughs> Which uh, actually in that in German that's um heaven as well. Is it? Yeah, Himmel. Neat. Huh. Nice, nice little double bonus there from from Jack. Yeah. I, mm. I, I I was a little thrown off. They kept saying Molinari. I'm um there there was there was is Congress, congressman from uh, Staten Island, where I grew up, where they pronounce it Molinari. Congressman mm. Molinari. And I keep going, Ari. It's like, no, I kept thinking, no, Ari, not Ari. What is this Ari crap? It's Ari. I, 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 know, I, I think it gets pronounced different ways from different areas of Italy, but yeah, it's, it's, it, that threw me off a little bit. It's like, it's Molinari, of course. Not Ari. But, I was I'm so, just looking for for that description. You guys take a turn because I I've got more, but I I want to see okay. if I can find. Okay, so 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 once once again, Dick seems like to throw out stuff. That stuff kind of gets subsumed for a while and then comes back up at the end. Like Wash Thirty Five, for example, we have that whole early scene where they go to Wash Thirty Five and they wander around and there's this whole obsession with collecting stuff and having the right the right stuff for Wash 35, having authentic uh, artifacts. Mm-hmm. And then Wash 35 doesn't get mentioned again until we start talking about alternate worlds and where, where Virgil's escaped to his Wash 35 or Wash 35 is safe from, from the war. And it, it, it seems like for a long while we don't even, even hear Wash 35. Wash 35 kind of reminded me of, uh, of, of uh, the movie uh, The 13th Floor. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, that's it, also a previous book we did, right? Where there's the artificial town. Right. Well, it, 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 well, well, it, it does. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, and not Eye in the Sky, Brain Freeze. Um, of course, um, uh, Time Out of Joint has an artificial town. But mm-hmm. but 13th Floor and this both have an artificial town from the youth, from the childhood of someone who's created. I mean, that's in 13th right. Floor, it's, it's inside a computer. 
but it's still a portion of Los Angeles of the in 1937, whereas this is which is Virgil's youth of 1935 in Washington. But you can't just go on forever. It's just a piece of the town, and it's it's it, it's just like recapturing youth and trying to. And don't uh, they say it seems to be? Is it like a rich person's game or something where they recreate their childhoods? <laughs> like I think even okay. Kathy at one point is thinking of creating Pitts 39 and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what what would what would Pitts Pitch 39 be? Because if if Wash is Wash 35, it's Washington 1935. What would Pitch be? It's not Pittsburgh, right? Because it's Pitch, P-I-T-C-H, isn't it? Uh, no, I think it's Pitts. Is it Pitts? Oh, then it would be Pittsburgh 39. Yeah. Yeah. Which which she wouldn't do because she's not from that. She's not even alive back then, right? She was gonna make a. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Maybe she's making it for someone else. Well, well, the the robot was lying, wasn't it? No. No, I, I found the paragraph. No, Doctor, the robot declared. Honest engine. Mrs. Smith made absolutely clear that this purchase was for a private use. And managed to add then an explanation which he knew it wants to be spurious. Whether originating the robot or with Kathy, that he could not tell, at least not immediately. Mrs. Smith sent the robot and stated piously, is building a Pitts 39. The hell she is! He tossed the made-out check at the robot and as it strove to catch the fluttering bit of paper, he continued on toward the in-track. So either the robot is lying on Kathy's behalf or let Kathy told the robot to make this lie. She's not doing it, but it's interesting which is which is the one a lot either the robot can accept a lie and pass it on, or the robot can make up a lie on Kathy's behalf. That's it's really strange and weird. Again. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, I, I found this description of uh Himmel. I, I, I think he's a we we get a kind of similar character in Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Yeah. It, um, what's the, he, he's famously played in the movie by, um, uh, the actor who, who, I don't know. He, he has a bigger role in the movie. Um, you talked about Gaff? Uh, no, 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 no. Remember in, he's the guy who makes all the, the robots and like, uh, is that, is it Isidore or Isidore? Isidore. No, Isidore. Yeah. What's is that him? What's yeah. That? Uh, yeah. Anyways, in the movie, he's got like a. Uh, aging disease. In in this case, uh, in the book, there was he was like a mental deficient or something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a dog catcher or something like that. Um, it, it, we've also got sort of a flawed god here. Um, the description of Himmel is really interesting because it's not the focus, but it, it, Dick throws it in quite a bit. So uh, it says, "Don't melt it down," Himmel said. His unsightly body twisted with embarrassment. His arms wound themselves about the long, knobby fingers writhing. Idiotically, his mouth gaped as he mumbled, I I don't know anymore. Anyhow, in terms of raw materials... And then he goes on, right? But then there's more description of him. Uh, yeah, it talks about him and the carts. It does talk about him and the carts, but I'm just... Uh, there's something about the way... He's described in that his his hands are no, you know knobby his his body is unsightly, right? They, they talk about him shambling and yeah he's uh, he is like he's a pathetic figure and we are very interested in him and yet Dick doesn't make that the focus. Um, he's not you know the main character and it comes back. That's the thing that I love about it 
is I completely forgot about these little carts running around, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end, when it comes back, it's it does something to the whole book. It's like it, it's the it first it takes the shape, right? And then at the end, it's fixed <laughs> in the same way that the Martian print amoeba uh, process works, right? First, we get the shape of this this you know process of creating little creatures Mm -hmm. and then at the end of the book that shape has been taken up and it's been fixed and i i think there's some sort of resonance going on there that is just amazing and it it if it's why it makes me think that this is almost on the level of do androids dream of electric sheep because he does the exact same thing there where you know there's a little animal running around in the wilderness right uh, where, where we can't even be sure if it's a real animal. And all this ersatz, that word he loves, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the robot, the, the description, Jonas describes uh, the, um, the way that these um, lazy brown dogs are made. He says, uh, but the protoplasm's not alive. It died when the chemical fixing spray was applied. You know that. From then on, it's all of these. Is nothing but an electronic circuit, as dead as, well, as a robant. But the robants are yeah. more alive than most of the, most of the people. Most of, most of the people, right? It also, it's a really touching moment in that alleyway as well, because it's where he he's quite suicidal, and then he's watching these little uh, kind of dead creatures try exactly. to survive and then he kind of has a turnaround and is thinking about what it means to survive as well. Even these things he decided are determined to live. Bruce was right. They deserve their opportunity the minuscule place under the sun and sky. But that's that's all they're asking for and it isn't much, he thought. I can't even do what they do. Make my stand. Use my wits to survive in a debris litty alleyway in Tijuana. That thing that's taking refuge there in that zinc bucket without a wife, a career, a con after money or the possibility of encountering any of these still persists. For reason known, unknown to me, its stake in its existence is greater than mine. The G Totex Blau no longer seemed attractive to him. There's um, so many lines in here that are just amazing. Um, it's it, talking about the absurdity of their of their jobs, and then Himmel Himmel ceaselessly at work here and at his conept. Seeing to it that factory rejects got their place in the sun. And then against that backdrop, Himmel did not look so ludicrous. And it's like, that's, he is so good at giving us this weird feeling. Mm-hmm. I love it, man. I, I love this stuff. Yeah, this is, there was a lot of passages. Stick so much. Like, yeah. Just so great. And, and the thing is, is the resonances are so strong. We can... Like, so, pitch, no, no, wash 35, right? Yep. That is him, that is uh, a 135-year-old man recreating a period of his youth in, like, a frozen-in-time thing, mm-hmm. right? Yep. It's 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 the exact same thing that the Martian print amoeba has done to it. Time is frozen, and yet Dick gives us time travel, and time is not frozen, right? When we go back in time, things are different when we come back forward in time, or they're not. It's it's he he has it every which way, so that 
there is no firm ground. Mm-hmm. And there was this amazing little sequence here that I want to read because I think it's it's so cool because it sort of epitomizes what Dick is doing here. So this is um, Eric comes back uh, to an apartment or something. He says, okay, a thought came to Eric. Do you object to a stereotype of a symphony played back in the evening when you're at home in your apartment? This is this is him explaining why uh, having uh, a Wash 35 is not stupid. No, Jonas said, but that's totally different. It's not, Eric disagreed. The orchestra isn't there. The original sound has departed. The hall in which it was recorded is now silent. All you possess is 1,200 feet of iron oxide tape that's been magnetized in a specific pattern. It's an illusion, just like this. Only this is complete. QED, he thought, and walked on then towards the stairs. We live with illusion daily, he reflected. When the first bard rattled off the first epic of some battle, illusion entered our lives. The Iliad is as much a fake, quotation marks around fake, as these robant children trading postage stamps on the porch of the building. Humans have always striven to retain the past and keep it convincing. There's nothing wicked in that. I, I hope I didn't screw that up. Yeah. Without it, we have no continuity. We only have the moment, and deprived of the past, the moment, the present, has little meaning, if any. Oh, yeah. Um, Maybe he pondered. uh, I'm just going to finish this off, sorry. Maybe he pondered as he ascended the stair. That's my problem with Kathy. I can't remember our combined past. Can't recall the days when we voluntarily lived with each other. Now it's become an involuntary arrangement, derived God knows how far in the past. And neither of us understands it. Neither of us can puzzle out its meaning or its motivating mechanisms. With a better memory, we could turn it back into something we could fathom. He thought maybe this is the first sign of old age making its dread appearance. And for me me at 34. And then, (laughs) this is the great ending. Phyllis, halting on the stair, waiting for him, said, Have an affair with me, doctor. Okay, Paul, you had a revelation. I had a revelation. This just connects to yet another Philip K. Dick novel we read. That was The Cosmic Puppets. Okay. Um, two, two things. One, it's set in, it's set in Ver, that's set in Virginia. Because right. Dick was, Dick lived in Washington, D.C., 36 to 38. So the Wash 35 is kind of Dick right. recreating his childhood. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and in The Cosmic Puppets, we're dealing with a, a fake town that's been altered from the memories of that's the right. protagonist and oh, he's yeah. trying to get it back and he feels adrift with this town being not the way it should be and trying to return it to the way he remembered it and not even remembering it completely 100% all the time. Remember we, we had this discussion about him having problems trying to remember every detail and wondering if it mattered in the end or whether he got it 100% correct or if he got it remembered it wrong. I was thinking that in terms of the this passage and also of all the alternate presence that that Eric keeps shuttling through as he takes JJ 180, where things have keep going differently. He has the he's going to have the affair. He's going to have the affair, or he refuses. Tells him to have the affair, or he, or he doesn't do it, or the rigs are the rigs that were allied with the rigs and the rigs are winning, or the war is going badly and Earth's go, now under occupation. And he keeps that sort of uncertainty certainty in the end about what 
really is the way his home timeline, as it were, and what, what the way things should be. It, it almost comes like almost like a cloud of possibilities in Eric's head. Um, <laughs> there's a line that I thought was close to that, uh, where the uh, owner of, the, of Tijuana, her and die says, you know, why Kathy's so important. It's Kathy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, Kathy. Okay. He says, um, Mrs. Sweet Scent, sweetheart, I'm in love with you because of what you do for me. Um, and then he talks about Wolcott's radio program uh, that she's got a recording of or something. Mm-hmm. And remember, there's that scene where uh, she, Kathy also destroys his uh, his his favorite Oh yeah, the uh, comedian. Yeah, yeah. Who he's a real comedian too, mm-hmm. although he's a different one, right? <laughs> I think it's a rich. It wasn't Rich Little, but it was somebody like, you know. Anyways, yeah. So that scene was really great because I imagine that actually happened. Dick's got some awesome recording that's very rare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back then there was no internet. You can't get it back once it's gone. Mm-hmm. But um, he says he. This is the funny thing, right? He says. Research that for me. Um, by the way, this reminds me, the American Weekly with that article on the Sargasso Sea. Uh, where is it? The Sargasso Sea. I think we'll finally decide to exclude that from Watch 35 because when I was, when I was a boy, my parents didn't describe to subscribe to the Hearst newspapers. <laughs> <laughs> In right, and so it's like trying to get that perfect thing, right? So. It's so stupid. The 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 story starts off with a robot giving a guy a bill for a cigarette package. It's not even like a pack of cigarettes, right? It's just an empty cigarette package. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Antique, a lunch yeah. Right. Dick does this again and again and again, right? That's why this book is, you know, it's every theme, right? But antiques, that's actually the MacGuffin for all the action that goes on in his most famous novel, right? Um, Man in the High Castle. Man in the High Castle, yep. right? Yep. They, they, they're making artificial, uh, <laughs> fake fake antiques. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that is weird. But he's right. He is right. We don't live uh, in the present. We live in an illusion of the present that is informed. I did a tweet this month uh, or this week while I was listening to this book. And it was a dream actually. Um, I came out, I woke up and I realized the internet is more real than the sun now because the sun goes off every, every day. It's more, <laughs> the internet's more reliable. It's on always. it's always on. Right. And I know, you know, the sun is actually more reliable <laughs> in theoretical terms. Right. But for me, Every day the sun goes off. (laughs) The internet never goes off in in comparative terms. And that's not wrong exactly, but from, you know, we are living in a weird illusionary reality that is about our plans, about our past. And when Kathy gets Corsicoff syndrome, holy fuck, right? Isn't this like a really powerful, it's just not, it's not like one step below the greatest dick novel ever written, I think. 
Because it has all these elements that almost completely come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that... I almost, I almost, it almost is the perfect dick novel. It doesn't quite get there. Sometimes they it doesn't there's... completely set. It yeah. doesn't completely the gel doesn't completely set, but it's so close. Yeah, it has all those elements going. And maybe he was just a little bit too uh, involved in his marriage at the time. <laughs> to he wasn't as uh, relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, I think he. I think he does a really good job of. I don't find uh, Kathy to be completely a monster. I, you know, that's there the are so thing. There's scenes. so much love for her in it as well. Like he, Absolutely. he's always and, in conflict about. Uh, yeah, he's caring for her so much at the same time. <laughs> I, I, I was expect I was expecting him to go for the the relationship with the teenager because you know infidelity, Philip K. Dick, mm-hmm. and he doesn't. He he decides in the end to go. Yeah, w- after that discussion with the robot, yeah, he's going to go take care of Kathy, even though it's going to be a hard year for him to do it. That's what he's got to do. And the robot says, "You're a good man." It's like, mm-hmm. wow, that's, <laughs> I wasn't. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> and also that scene that you read out before, Jesse, where Kathy's waking up in the morning, like he, he actually gets into his female character's head in this one and you can see her like sorrow and, you know, of waking up without him and the, you see a lot you more of her. You can tell it's, re- it's written by a, a heterosexual man, a yep. very, you know, a boob man, as you said, as you pointed out, is definitely, definitely a boob man. Yeah. But on the other hand, he has so much empathy for every kind of person, mm-hmm. even when he's writing a person without any empathy, right? Because they're so mad and so full of hate and yeah. spite. When Kathy, when when there's a scene when he he comes home after, uh, you know, he's decided to go work for Gino. <laughs> he he comes home, makes a, a chicken dinner or something in the in the infrared oven, oh, and yeah. then. Uh, she's so mad at him. She's trying to sh- make him angry by talking about Marm, some movie star named Marm, <laughs> which is a fairly hilarious guy. She, and she sort of intimates that me- she may have had sex with him. Um, and he's like, this is, you know, whatever. I've got a secret or whatever. And then he, he they go to the bed and he starts stroking her. Uh, she's like utterly depressed because he's leaving her, right? Mm-hmm. And he's stroking her, and then his his the microwave dings or whatever, and he you know moves her off of his lap, and he goes to the kitchen, and she starts saying, "Well, it's good. Now I have a purpose. My purpose is to make your life a living hell." Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's like, oh wow. man, and he's saying, "Good luck with that." <laughs> yeah. like, Oh no! Oh, and and then he, she, she does right, mm-hmm. and he he goes through time to get a draw. To I, I I think this book is this it would totally be totally rereadable in another. You know, I wait five years reread this again. I would just love it again. Yeah, I think it's definitely one that is going to reward a lot of rereading. Like the same with I androids. Know. I had yeah. no idea that this book would be like that. No, n- neither did I. There's some odd little strands in this book. Like, what is with Molinari and him getting diseases from his staff? Yeah, what, is, was, what is it's, that? It's, what? it's uh, sympathy paints, right? Uh-huh. That's what That was why Gino Molinari is not uh, Mussolini. Um, the description of him is, is so interesting because he is – 
it, we get this description of him at the beginning and then, you know, sort of very dignified. And then his zipper was open. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's not done up. Uh, he is, he is a monster in that he, he kills people, right? Yeah. Uh, as part of his job, but he is also trying to navigate. So our, we don't know why, what's true about him, but what we do know is that he is, one of the possibilities is that he is using his diseases as a way of preventing these star men from taking over the earth. Basically, yeah. he's. He's pulling a saying, if I'm Mussolini, how do I prevent the Nazis from coming in here? I think that's that's what I loved about him is that I think this is the first time in a book I've heard that basically like pulling a sick day, like to avoid meetings as a plot device to like be a hero. (laughs) It's like a heroic action of just being like avoiding meetings and pretending to be sick. I get that. But okay, But still, he's having real diseases which are cured. Yeah, well, you know, sympathy pains. If your wife is pregnant and she's feeling pain, uh, some people have what are called sympathy pains, right? Yeah, they they also feel pain. And that is, you know, it's not that far away from uh, one of the descriptions of him was that he was a hypochondriac, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you read about uh, Lyme disease, <laughs> and you say, "Gosh, you know, I, I'm feeling all these symptoms." That is uh, f- empathizing, sympathy. You know, imagine putting yourself in that position is not just sympathy; it's empathizing, right? And that's what he—that's what he's—he's he's like the uber empathizer. But it's almost like he has like a psychic ability to take those, take those symptoms and put them on himself and it looks like he actually has the disease and you cure it but once you cure the other person it's gone so it's almost like a psychic link between him and the people in the staff as bill clinton says so famously to get himself elected i feel your pain (laughs) (laughs) he feels your pain literally so he, he he did have psychic abilities right I don't. I have no idea what the fuck's going on with him because he's he's able to time travel and get people from other presents. Yeah, he, to, he's kind of he's, he's he, yeah, he can ice. pull. Yeah. And what's that? JG, uh, what was was one reviewer said that JG one eighty was the main character of this book. Eighty <laughs> <laughs> because the drug <laughs> allows all the weird stuff to happen. Um, a, I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, there. he was confusing. And there was that scene where he's holding Eric's hands, and Eric is reminiscing about this awful time with his wife. And it's like it's like Molinari can see the things. And do you remember that scene? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like he's connected to his imagination somehow. I almost would like a book from Molinari's point of view. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What is really going on with him and what is he really doing? I mean, it looks like he is playing rope-a-dope with the Lilith stars to uh, yeah. keep keep them from uh, taking over the Earth. And it's clever. And yeah. the, the, the Lilith stars kind of remind me that the whole thing, the whole backstory of like, oh, Earth is really just – Earth humans are really just descended uh, from the Lilith star, man. That kind of reminds yeah. me of um, writers like, say um, – Oh, brain freeze. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Oh, I am. And it, it reminds me of uh, Lord Calvin of Otherwen, where 
basically humans are basically crash landed Martians that mm-hmm. devolve back into barbarism, except for one timeline where they maintain their their power and they so can they they have the ability to travel through different timelines, like say Earth and that's that's a that's a that's very strange. That's a very strange set of uh, stories. But also reminds me of Traveler, where Earth is the original home of man, but aliens take humans thousands, thousands of years ago. They drop them all over the galaxy, and one of those group, lots of those groups of humans, develop space travel before the humans do. So when we get out there, we find stellar empires of humans. Because- There's a John Carpenter movie called Starman, right? Yeah, it's the same. Same. Uh, it, this is not a new no. trope. I don't think Dick invented no, it, but. but- so he's certainly he's using it to his, you know, Advantage. to get us into that that situation uh, where we. What interests me about the the Starmen, other than they've got the gray uniforms instead of the you know the black uh-huh. uniforms or whatever, um, is that the name of their planet or their what they call the Lilistar, right? Yeah. Dick's very first written anything was called Return to Lilliput, which is oh, obviously. Really? He's read uh, Gulliver's Travels. Yeah. And as everybody who reads Gulliver's Travels knows, that's the very first part of Gulliver's Travels. That's also the one that most people think is the only part of Gulliver's yeah. Travels. It's just the one travel, right? But it is it is a very... It's a interesting because uh, it is every toddler's dream, <laughs> right? Every kid loves Lilliput. And the reason all the adults <laughs> are tiny and you are like a giant Godzilla. You are like a god. You can do anything there, right? So Lilla Star is kind of like I think they're like they are if if you remember the Lilliputians, they are very um warlike. They are like a, a Napoleonic era empire. Mm-hmm. And they've got right. some enemies that are exactly the same size as them across the lake or the pond or whatever it is that is their massive ocean. Um, and there's like a battle and blah, blah, blah. But the important part is um, <laughs> we're getting pushed around by <laughs> little tiny people. Um, what This is a really – Molinari has a really great technique. I, I think for – you know, there's a meeting where they say we want to – take slave labor from earth and that's what the little starians the uh, starmen uh are looking to meet him for right they say we are going to take humans from earth as slave labor to work in our camps mm-hmm. right so that we can win this war our junior partner yeah. and what's his solution let's not have the meeting because i'm too sick he might not survive right so whether Molinari is faking these illnesses, whether they're real or not, it's sort of he's, he's it's using, a great strategy. He's, he's using them strategically so he doesn't actually have to agree to anything. And and and, and the little star envoy is just shocked that was like, well, wait, you're gonna have the have this procedure now? We have this meeting. It's like, but there there is this thing like you can't have Italy fighting on your side unless you have Mussolini in charge, right? Because the thing is, is this is why Vichy France, right? Southern, Southern France is not, 
it has its own government. It's French. Yeah, they're influenced by the Nazis, right? Mm -hmm. But if you put a puppet government in place, that's not the same as putting your own guy in that government. Because if they took out Gino Molinari like they kind of want to, right? They killed him. Then who do they put in in his place? Well, all those Earth people aren't just going to submit, are they? They're going to rebel. Right, right now, Molinari is or how do you how did you want it pronounced? <laughs> Molinari. Molinari. Molinari is doing sort of a uh, fighting the middle ground between uh, allowing Earth to be, you know, basically destroyed by its its ruling. Uh, allies or fighting against them uh, with the uh, Beetlejuice or whatever the Riggs, right? So his way of dealing, you know, sort of both sides is admirable. You you might say, well, no, he should just stop the war. Yeah, that's uh, it's almost like he's 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 thinking, you know, the way Nixon is thinking, right? In in the Vietnam War, he's like, yeah, we need to get out of this, but we need uh, we need to get out of this. So in a way that doesn't make America feel like it was a mistake in the first place, which, of course, extends the war. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or or as they, you know, as we re-experienced with uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, yeah. <laughs> the exact same thing. Uh, yeah, this was a complete fucking mistake. How the fuck do we get out of it? Well, if we just immediately pull out, then that means we shouldn't have done it in the first place. But if we slowly, so it's like the technique of, you know, should I rip off the bandaid or should I slowly, slowly peel it back, right? <laughs> yeah. Me, I, I also am in favor of the slow peeling back method myself. But uh, I can see why somebody would want to just tear it off. But this is a self-inflicted wound underneath the bandaid. Yeah, well, yeah, well, you're the one who got into this war. That's right. But I, I, I found interesting that even, even, even when Little Star tries to get around this whole position, thinking, "Well, I thought Doctor Cornell, he's an Empire physician with me. He would like to examine, examine you with a view towards making a permanent correction of physical problems." I think the Little Star guy knows what Molinari was doing, yeah. but doesn't have any uh, way to stop. Molinari is still too canny to. Uh, do that. And he it's, says, it's an, yeah. Thank you, Minister Molinari said. Your kindness of bringing Dr. Garlow is deeply appreciated. However, I have my own staff physician here, Dr. Sweetson. He and Dr. T. Garner are about to perform an exploratory examination to determine the cause of my hypertension. Now, Frensky said, and show for the first time a trace of general emotion. Amazed anger. It's like, you're willing to have an exploratory examination right in the middle of this conference just to <laughs> not say, yeah, I'm going to send a million people to your planet to be slaves. Molinari, you are awesome. He is. He, he, he is the heart of the, the dying uh, angina-inducing uh, heart of this book. <laughs> he, he's not, JJ 180 is not the hero Molinari is. He, it, it's very interesting because he does. He saves uh, Eric Sweetscent, right? Mm-hmm. He gives him a way out that doesn't allow him to have to divorce. It's it, it, there's so many good resonances in here. I re- I really enjoyed thinking about it while I was listening to it. It yeah. was 
it was a, a, a very weird start. <laughs> yeah, it just throws it, you in. It throws you in, and it takes a while to actually get to the actual plot. That's part of this. Not why this is not a first best ever Phil K. Dick novel, but in the in the in 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 that top tier, yeah, it's on the lower end of that top tier, but mm-hmm. it's in that top tier for me. I'm I'm yeah. glad we read it. Ah, uh, me too. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.